0: This is a podcast from the Sports Pro Insider Series. Hello again, and welcome to another Sports Pro podcast. My name is Owen Connolly, I'm the editor at large at SportsPro, hope you're all doing really well. Uh, It's great to have everyone back for another entry from the SportsPro Insider Series, our regular run of virtual events, Uh, and we've got a good one for you today. It's uh, one of our sessions looking at emerging tech and media. In this case, putting together a picture from the ground up of the startup economy, uh, taking in. Accelerators, incubators, giving you some of the fundamentals you'll need if you're looking at getting a startup going, uh, if you want to understand how investors think or how to invest more effectively, or if you've just got a bit of curiosity about a fast moving and ever more influential bit of the sports industry. Sports Pro Managing Director Nick Meacham, perhaps making a debut on a Sports Pro podcast. Uh, He's going to be the man getting all that detail for you from Alba Chiara founder Roger Mitchell and Kyle Bunch, the VP Managing Director of Global Sports Venture Studio. Two guys who are working with or have worked with some really fascinating sports tech companies. They discuss what startups can do to identify the right investors uh, and why people and knowledge matter, how to assess valuations why founders should focus on solutions more than products, Uh, why 2021 could be a huge year in the space after the challenges of 2020, which emerging sectors to watch, and much more. It's a really useful chat, which uh, should be well worth your time. Before we get to that, a few parish notices for you. Obviously, there's tons more to come from the Insider Series with events coming up on social media, sustainability, OTT and broadcasting, finance and investment, athletes in business and leadership that's all on the way live and interactive before the middle of october and you can watch every single session to date on demand completely free uh, just pop in your details at sportsproinsiderseries.com and you'll be on your way two big remote events to follow as well SportsPro pro live is going virtual this year on the 16th and 17th of september Driving the new era of sports with speakers from Man United, the NBA, Harris Blitzer Sports and Entertainment, the NFL, Matchroom, Twitch, F1, just loads. It's a brilliant lineup. Exhibitions and networking as well. Sportsprolive.com to find out more. Uh, and then on the 21st and 22nd of October, we'll be shaping the future of sports in Asia. It's Sports Pro Asia. Uh, we've got the NRL joining us, the One Championship, the Rajasthan Royals of uh, the Indian Premier League, Star India, UFC, Zone, WWE, more booked, more lined up, um, exhibitions and networking as well for that one. Uh, and sportsproasia.com is where you'll need to go to get any information you might need. Hope to have you all joining us at either or both of those. But yeah, look into it. We've got some excellent podcasts coming up as well. Two or three really special ones to listen out for over the next couple of weeks uh, and more in the pipeline. Michael Long, our editorial director, he's also been putting the finishing touches to the latest issue of Sports Pro Magazine. Picking up on the restart and making sense of some of what the sports industry is going through right now. That's going to be available very shortly. As ever, always some unmissable stuff on sportspromedia.com. So if you can promise to check all of that out, I'll let you go and we can get on with the podcast. Deal? Good. The next voice you'll hear after the little sting will be Nick Meacham. Uh, Enjoy the pod and you'll hear from me again very soon. Print, digital, events, podcasts, Sports Pro.
1: Really good to be here with you and I think this will be a really fun and hopefully a really informative session. I'm here with Kyle Bunch from RGA Ventures and Roger Mitchell from, I can't pronounce your company's name properly, uh, so I won't even try, Roger, but it uh, might be a good way to play, place to start. Uh, Roger, could you give us a bit of an intro? Um, yeah. you know, these two, just to add a bit of perspective, uh, come from different continents and working in different landscapes, although sit really in in a different space also within the tech tech sector so i think it's really good if we pay a bit of a picture with these guys and their backgrounds before we get into the the nuts and bolts and the meaty meaty stuff so roger if you could uh, you could start that'd be great
2: sure i i founded a company called alba chiara which i like to call a knowledge transfer company it's really got three pillars the first one is working with startups in an almost kind of like mini accelerator way um, where there's a, a core of professionals that they work with startups to get to their, their objectives in the short and medium term uh, that allows me to see disruption what's coming around the corner and i use that in my more general consultancy with with bigger corporates and say to them look you know you need to get tooled up for this and then they often say to, to us um, yeah but we don't have the skills for that and I say, uh, well, funny you should say that. Let me introduce you to our executive education arm of Albuquerque. Uh, so those are the three pillars of which startups clearly are, are the cornerstone. And all of that we communicate uh, through the sports business podcast, Are You Not Entertained? And I come from a sports rights holder background.
1: I was going to give. that I was waiting for you to give that a plug. I didn't think you'd get in the first one, but I was expecting it in at least it's question two or three. No, a great podcast to listen to for anyone who's who's wanting to get get insight into the the sports industry. Um, Kyle, let's go go straight to you. Can can you jump in now?
3: Yeah, I'll try to uh, keep it as as brief as as I can here. I uh, so I'm you know as the as the slide says, I'm here from RGA Ventures. RGA Ventures is part of RGA, which is a global innovation company We've been around for 40 plus years and gone through a lot of iterations, but today it's kind of a hybrid of, uh, you know, innovation consulting practice, product service, design, technology, build those kind of things. And and then, you know, your marketing and communications and the fourth kind of grouping is, is the ventures group that I sit with We've been in the venture space for about six or seven years. We play more in a sort of corporate partner, uh, where we're, you know, we're making investments alongside our partners. A lot of our investment is is in the sort of creative capital. How do we take that great RGA talent and capabilities, bring those to the startup world, help accelerate those companies timelines, et cetera. So we've, like I said, we've been in this space for about six, seven years. And, and the reason I think you know I'm here is uh, one of our first corporate partners was the LA Dodgers, not long after Guggenheim partners bought them. And so we launched back in, I guess, 2015 now one of the first sports tech, maybe first sports tech accelerator, the Dodgers accelerator out in LA and went through a couple years worth of that and now have evolved to something that we call the Global Sports Venture Studio. And that's a partnership, continues to be a partnership between R.J. Ventures, Elysian Park Ventures, which is the Dodgers investment, sports investment arm. And now we've got a great set of partners from... UEFA, MLS, MLB, and those kind of leagues to everybody, you know, Fox Sports, Dick Sporting Goods, Adidas, Levy Restaurants, others that kind of play in this, this sports innovation space. So as we go through, I'll talk a little bit more about GSBS. I don't, you know, like I said, I'm trying to keep the intro brief, but, but that's kind of me, my background. I've spent most of my life in sports. I've started sports media conferences on the side. and So, so really excited to be here and talk about how the space is changing so fast
1: now. Cool. Okay, so let's get into it a little bit more detail here. Uh, where should we start? Um, so let's talk about the different. Let's start with funding. Talk about the different funding types um, in, in sort of just quick fire, if we could. Uh, maybe, Kyle, uh, can you sort of give us a bit of a, a snapshot as to all those different stages of, of funding that a typical um, a, a typical startup might be looking at?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So you know, there's there's kind of you know. Uh, a lot of your sort of, you know, angel seed cap, angel and seed early stage capital, which I think until recently was, was, you know, one of the key sort of cornerstones of a, of a rapidly developing sports innovation space. So you had a lot of those companies kind of seeking that oftentimes from athletes, some of the, you know, kind of more progressive teams and owner ownership groups. Uh, what we've seen over the last you know couple of years is definitely moving to a bigger you know, series A, series B, bigger investments typically from, you know, your major VC firms. Uh, and then, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, I know we were talking a little bit about the sort of, you know, private equity money that's that's starting to come in as well. You know, certainly in more later stages, right, where we start to get into there's a track towards an IPO. So private equity is coming in and saying, hey, let's invest in in this you know, get in on that last round, or you know, one of those last rounds before before an IPO. The other other area that I think is really interesting, and we'll we'll talk about it throughout, is or as a as a sort of recurring theme is how VCs, investors, even private equity, are looking at different companies and potentially looking at kind of rollups, integrations. I think there's so many great things happening out there, but oftentimes they're uh, kind of stuck in that middle between: are they a really interesting solution? or are they really set up as a, as a business succeed? And what we're seeing is, you know, you take a really powerful AI computer vision company, and you combine it with automated cameras. Now you start to get to this really big unlock. And so I think that's where it's gotten really interesting within the space is how VCs and big, you know, kind of more institutional investors are helping drive that change.
1: So, so you've got the angel investment C through series AB, we get into the private equity side of things. Uh, from what I understand, the U.S. market and North American market is quite a, a structured sort of approach to that that funding uh, ecosystem, the startup ecosystem. Uh, but Roger, we've talked about this a little bit beforehand um, in, in previous conversations. The European, from from what I understood, isn't isn't quite as structured as that. Could you could you give us paint the picture a little bit more about what it looks like over here?
2: That's right. I think that's a great point. You know, in the states, you've almost got what's called the startup playbook where um, you're getting startups kind of like moving through the roadmap, uh, trying to match exactly with the funding partners, whether that's Angels, then Seed going to Series A, Series B. And and almost the startup uh, works towards the expectation of the funding round next time around. In Europe, it's much more informal. You know, at the start, you'll probably get some friends and family, then you'll get some angels or some high net worths and then you know the word will get passed around and um, it's a lot more unstructured a lot more uh, word of mouth and then um, of course we don't have this side of the pond yet um, the the kind of like uh, next stage so structured that you say well now i need to like think about my series a and these are the kind of people i'm going to go to and that means that my startup needs to be at this point in time by the time i get there uh, in Europe, it seems to be well, give me some cash. I know what I want to build. A minimum viable product, get some traction, and then see what happens. A little bit, I think that's the reality.
3: Yeah, and one thing I'd add is you know that we see here is, is you know in that funding climate has been just so much money out there. You know, and and so that what we saw you know is is valuations that just you know went crazy. To Roger's point, this sort of like oh we just raised all right, let's start raising the next round. It's kind of like a politician who wins and then is already doing campaign fundraising. And in sure. some cases, that's that's really smart. You know, you get the round that's, you know, the capital you need to get through the next year, two years give you that runway. And sometimes then it's, hey, let's layer in a strategic set of partners that are going to help unlock greater value. It's not about the money as much as the other things they can bring. But yeah, I think that part of that model that, that Roger's describing really codified Over the you know, or or accelerated over the last ten plus years, as as there were just a lot of capital and interest rates drop over, like where are you going to put that money and look for for gains? And you get all head you get a lot of different people, VC investors particularly fund investors LPs that are looking for big returns. They're not looking for steady five percent, ten percent over year over year. They're looking for fifty to seventy five percent gains on that that investment. So I think that fuels a
2: lot of it here. Nick, that's a great point, and and maybe it was one of your questions, but it's a good segue here because, you know, a lot of the things that startups fail to understand is that uh, depending on who you're speaking to in terms of the investor, you need to uh, adjust your pitch a little bit. You know, you just heard Kyle say that some VCs won't even look at you, even if you're a good business, if you're not prepared to make it a 10 bagger or, you know, like a, a really strong IRR. Uh, and, and you know, you may say, well, why did I get a no there? Well, the, re- the reason is that you didn't get their model. It's very structured in the United States and North America, whereas here, you know, you get people that are much more interested in, you know, maybe the the sexiness of the asset. You know, a decent return to Kyle's point. You know, like you're getting one percent if you put money in the bank, you're getting nothing in government bonds. So, you know, uh, sport tech as an asset class is good. But one of the main things that startups should take away in general from today and in general is that know who you're pitching to, know what they need to have in your project. And if you don't match that, even if you knock it off the park in terms of product, product uh, market fit, it's going to be a no. Cool. Uh,
1: I think what I'd like to jump in with there, particularly you've got the structured approach in the U.S., and i'm not sure Kof, you can paint this picture this is a if it is as as play as i'm envisaging but in terms of okay i've started i've started a startup okay uh early stages um what sort of equity am i giving up to get that funding in traditional terms like how much do i have to give up of the piece of the pie because i think that's that's a big question mark no one really knows they get told different things they talk to the wrong person or the right person the very different conversations i imagine is there a again a set structure typically obviously it's not it's not plug and play, one size fits all, of course, but yeah. is it structure that you know, you're you're having to give up through that journey?
3: Um, you know, I, it can certainly vary. I mean, definitely, you know, part of what what you'll see is, you know, in those earlier days, somebody's taking a bigger leap, right? You don't necessarily have revenue to really establish the value, so you're potentially going to give up more. That's where if you've got one, an angel investor, who's not going to necessarily, you know, who's a family friend, somebody who's not going to hold you over the coals as far as those valuation goes, is it is, is nice when, you know, nice work, if you can get it right. It's not, you know, if everybody had that, we'd all be out starting companies. So I think early on, you're going to give up more. And then, you know, a lot of it from there starts to depend on, you know, what does that revenue look like? And, and, you know, what does that path to growth look like? Is there, you know, an entrenched player, that you're going to need more capital and, and, you know, again, that risk level is still pretty high. So, you know, I think in an ideal world as a startup, if you can make sure that you maintain that majority ownership stake, but here, look, the reality also to, to know is as you start to raise that money, one, it, it does come with strings it is going to have an expectation of an exit they're not putting it in so that 10 years down the road they oh, look i built that little company into something they want returns and um so i think that part's that part's really important and then i think the, the big thing you know we saw and again i don't know that this can be as much of a problem don't don't let yourself get so overvalued that you find yourself having to take it down round investment wise or that you go like i had a great company but at four hundred million dollars, I will never reach. I can never reach that, and so I'm eventually going. I may get, and I may, as the founder, get diluted. There's a number of tragic stories of the guys who actually did the work, and then when everything, when all the kind of bankers did their thing, it was you know, I mean, Eduardo Saverin is probably your ultimate like depicted in a movie like cautionary tale. But but it happens every day, and so, anyways, that's that's a long-winded way of saying you know I think. Investor to investor, you're going to see different things, but early on, probably having to give up more. And the sooner you can establish a path to profitability, the better you can probably do on subsequent rounds.
2: Nick, I would add to that. I would say, you know, there's a term in this uh, ecosystem. It's my valuation, but it's your terms, you know, so uh, to, to Kyle's point, you know, he smiles because that's what happens. You know, uh, your point about how much they need to give away depends on the valuation of, of, that you're putting on the startup at the start. And, you know, you can feel you, uh, good about yourself and get a good valuation, and give away less money. But if the terms attached to that are draconian, then that's a panic victory, you know? So I always advise startups to look at the person that's coming in. Um, are they gonna be somebody that helps you when you're gonna hit the inevitable uh, turbulence and road bumps and you need to pivot a little bit? Or is this somebody that's gonna get out the legals and say, the company's now mine. You know, but we're maybe getting right to the end about you know how you, you advise a startup, but you know the end is the beginning. It's it is a little bit circular like that. The base needs to be right, and one of the big mistakes about startups is they get they get uh, hung up on valuation, on dilution, and at the end of the day, if you're creating whether it's Facebook or whether it's Y Scout or whether it's any of these really good exits. You know, history tells us that a couple of percentage points either way for the founder ain't going to change things. Get the right person, get the right terms, and get on with it.
1: That and that—that's that, a really good point. But but you, link talked a lot about valuation there, and you talked about a couple of percentage points. But even to get within that couple of percentage points is uh, how do you how do you work out what your your business is value? Not you know you love you love what you've developed, and you put all this passion and effort into it. Yeah, blah blah blah. That's great, but how do you how do you come up with a valuation for your own business? You know, there's you see all these crazy numbers being sprouted in the, in, in um, various evaluations of businesses as, as they're further down the line. How does someone who's built a startup work out how to value their own business? Can either of you want to take that one?
2: Yeah, I'll, I'll let Raj go first if you want. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm monopolizing. <laughs> um, listen, the answer is the value is what somebody's prepared to pay for it. That's the same in the stock market, it's the same for your house, it's the same for anything. What they will push back on is, how much have you invested today uh, to give me an idea of how much money has gone in there? And then obviously that's usually a smaller number than the valuation you're asking for. So you have to try and create structure around that that says, look at the traction I've got, look at the product, uh, prototype I have, um, maybe I've got some first mover advantage." It's all, it's all um, a negotiation. You'll have some benchmarks that you can say, well, they're in this sector at the, at the stage they were at, they managed to get a valuation of X and Y. But listen, markets go up and down. You get the, 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 the peak of the wave and you get the trough. You, the, 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 the trick in this whole game is to be sensitive enough to the winds of change and don't think that there's a binary answer. If you get the right team, the right investors, then honestly, I'm a great believer that valuation isn't that super important, Nick.
3: Yeah, no, the, the sort of, it's only worth what you, you know, like the house valuation. I'm in Austin, property values have, have been growing up and and it's like, yeah, right, my house might be worth theoretical dollars, but until I am prepared, like it's, you know, maybe I can borrow against it, you know, but- yeah, I, I think one of the biggest things you see in pitch decks, you know, I think Raj is exactly right. There's this sort of it's a storytelling component. How can I, in a very succinct elevator pitch, maybe cliche, but it's it's pretty true. Like, how do I condense that down into ideally ten slides? How do I avoid one of the things that's the worst to see is just like total addressable market. It's three trillion dollars. You're like, I, I get it, but like you're that's that's really you know taking some liberties or not drilling down to like right but your solution won't address that It'll address a sliver of the market so i think part of what you're looking for you know roger's getting at is like we've made some assumptions you know we we and we can explain how we got there to give you a, a sense of you know what that vision is and and being relatively conservative tell tell how you could unlock that level ideally saying this investment will help us get there you know, and and here's how. And then last thing I'd say, and I, again, Roger kind of hit on it. Founding teams are really important. In most cases, investors are betting on that as much as anything. It's why once you've been in, once you've done it once, going and raising money from those same people, if you were successful, like, is, is sort of shockingly easy. Once you've kind of cracked the club, it's, you know, it's like, the yeah, I'll bet on these guys again. Good
2: probably, That's yeah. a great point, because especially in these moments now when, you know like you've had a real you know uh, air pocket uh, with COVID and everything like that the number of startups and going back to their existing capital table and saying can you help me out and and the good ones will do that the guys that you've um you know try to get the better valuation or try they probably won't so what what i think i'm saying nick is that this whole startup journey it's a bit of getting getting into a boat to row across the atlantic make sure the folk in the boat are the right people. And I think, you know, coming on to one of the, some of the things we're going to talk about soon, I think, you know, I think one of the issues with incubators, accelerators, you know, they have in a little way kind of industrialized the process, you know, Uh, they've turned it a little bit into a cold process and, you know, I'm not sure in, in a lot of cases that serves a startup well, you you want a startup somebody that you can turn to when you see the big waves coming, and you say you're with me, aren't you? You know, and and I think you know I've seen in the last two or three years, uh, you know Kyle's guys were at the start of all this, and you know they've got all the credibility in the world, but there's been a lot of me too guys that have got into accelerators, and I think there's growing cynicism in the startup community because you know they're ever pitching. You know, they become professional pitchers they forget forget to run the business they, they get asked to move geographically and um, and then you see all of them most most startup folks guys and girls they're they're young adults they're maybe young families and they've been asked to move and you see horror stories and you just want to go and say to them look don't pitch this one because even in the best case scenario it's not going to be a good end for you you know that's what, that's what i think you know people, startups need to realize
3: Really look who you want the money from. Yeah, if you guys will uh, tolerate a sports analogy here, I think one way to think about some of these programs is is not unlike if you were a really talented 14 year old soccer player and you were choosing which development academy to go into, and you were kind of had your pick of the line. You go, okay, well, let's look at like what are the results if I choose Barso over you know Man City and what what have they done? What's how do their in this case it's kind of investment theses. Philosophy, like how does that align with who I am as a player where I want to go? I think there's there's a lot of overlap there in terms of you know how you kind of develop those opportunities. And, and I'd say one of the best things, if you can do it, you know, look at the results of these programs and these kind of partners who have gone through there. And if you can talk to founders who went through, it. because it can be distorting to go, oh, look at their results, and you're like, no, 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 that company almost succeeded in in spite of the accelerator. Like that wasn't what got them there. I, I have you know, some friends who have gone through these programs, companies who have gone through other programs and then come to ours and will say like, God, I gave them 5% for a fraction of what you guys are doing for me for 1% or 2% or, you know, much smaller stakes. So really look at the talk to founders and, and you'll hear a story out of these that can really help you make the right decision of is this, is this for me or not? And just talk to people in the industry. It's a small networked industry. Chances are, if you're looking at a program, You can at least find someone who knows are these guys for real or not?
0: Help us spread the word about the Sports Pro Podcast. Subscribe, like, and share our content on social. Join the conversation on Twitter with the hashtag SportsProPod. And if you're enjoying our work, why not leave us a rating and a nice review on your podcast platform of choice? And if you want to get in touch, you can send us an email podcast at sportspromedia.com. The Sports Pro Podcast. We're listening to.
1: OK, well, that's that sets us up well for the the next question I wanted to get more deeper into is people heard have heard the term of an accelerator. There's a number in the market now, uh, RGA, you guys have been in the, the market doing this sort of stuff, particularly with your Dodgers uh, Accelerator um, several years ago now leading the way there. What is the difference between an incubator and an accelerator? What are the benefits they bring to a startup? Um, I mean, you've already mentioned a few and what sort of value? should you expect if you are bringing your startup into that sort of uh, community, if you will? Um, Again, probably, probably, Carl, if you can start with that one because obviously that's your
3: So I'd say first that, you know, some of these terms get interchanged, whether or not they're really accurate, right? And, And incubator, I think in particular for a while there was just this like, you know, I think the way we would look at an incubator is taking a much earlier stage idea and really kind of getting out the door. There's agencies who will even, you know, have this, Oh, hey! We have a process. We bring people together. We develop an idea. We decide which one to go with, and then we have a team that goes and makes it. So there's this kind of let's go partner to make entirely new things, which gives an investor a higher upside. They're, they're part of creating the product. It it you know potentially taps industry, you know knowledge. So for example, RGA is incubating um, a. a product right now with some some ex clients that were in the sports space that, that went off to start their own thing and it is like we're helping build a lot of it they have a lot of the hardware that they've worked on with you know vendors in asia and they're and they're building the product so that's that's where incubation sits accelerator you know is uh, tends to be a sort of three-month window where you're you know you're going to go choose a cohort Eight, 10 companies, whatever it is, you're gonna bring them in, you're gonna provide them with service, maybe some level of services. Definitely that's the way we approach it. Others just provide small seed capital investment or uh, small introductions and mentorship, and often take five, six percent for that, which we would argue is is quite a quite a bit for what a lot of the results look like. What we've pivoted more to is something we call a venture studio, which has some overlap with, with accelerators at times it may be cohort based, but other times it's, it's trying to bring a more kind of systematic way to engage the startup ecosystem, which could take the form of commercial agreements with strategic investment or warrant equity upside. If, if it goes well, it may be investment. It might just be working with those startups to try to get pilots out into the field with a team or league. so there's, there's kind of all this range of models. I'd say incubator, Looking at the incubators, if you've got something earlier stage, you've got a MVP, but by no means is it ready to go to market where, you know, accelerators, depending, like I said before, depending on the relationships they're going to bring. If it's relationships and mentorship, you know, our first Dodger program, in addition to providing services like Magic Johnson was a mentor (laughs) as a startup, you might look at that and be like, yeah, that's the type of mentor I want, not these three investors, you know. Or maybe you want the investor perspective. So, anyways, that's that's what that's how I would kind of see the that range of programs. And then, and then, you know, I'd be curious to get Roger's thoughts of what he sees over. Yeah, years that's
2: early. that's about right. You know, incubators would be a little bit earlier stage, whereas acceleration is yeah, you've proved it. You know, I'm now going to take you and take you into my network and get you the. Because listen, Nick, like, what what, what does startups really want, regardless of the terminology? Uh, they want capital, they want door opening. These are the two tangible things they want. They um, need a lot of intangible things that they often undervalue. Uh, Things like uh, mentorship, making sure that the founders stay together, the founding team, because they will grow at different speeds. Uh, They need to know how to recruit and then stop macro managing. Uh, They they need to know uh, how to um, scale um uh, sustainably because the the lowest hanging fruit the shiniest bauble often isn't in their best interests so you know so what what uh, i do and what i think everybody that, that i think does well does is forget about these kind of like definitions and titles and just concentrate every day on empathizing with your founders because you know for them this is they're all in this is the thing we need to remember. They're all in. You know, they, they probably mortgaged their house. They're straining their marriage, the young children. Um, you can't treat them as if it's some kind of, like, cold process. You need to be with them. There'll be up days. There'll be down days. Uh, you need to be able to, like, deal with them in those moments of honesty. And sometimes you be, you're soft. Sometimes you're hard. And then you're, you're they need to trust you when you say, listen, I think you're reading this wrong. Sleep on it overnight. You know, it's a human, it's a human service, whether you call it incubator or accelerator, it's human. And then um, whoever you choose, it should be somebody that the rest of the community says to themselves, if they've invested and they've taken them on, why am I not in there as well? So you create a little bit of like curiosity and FOMO, you know. So I wouldn't get hung up on the definitions, got hung up on the value added.
1: Yeah. Sure. Okay. I'm going to keep moving this along. Now I've got some questions coming in from the audience. So let's let's throw in one or two from there. Will Martin has asked, let's bring this question up for everyone. Is this new climate harder for earlier stage startups to raise money with more money going towards more established startups looking to scale? Or does this new environment require new solutions to new companies with new solutions? I think the first bit's an interesting one because you guys mentioned just briefly there. The um, Obviously, if you've got a track record in delivering startup success or you know someone who does, there's someone that would be really valuable to connect with because you it'd be, make it easy to attract that investment side of things. Um, Roger, what's your initial take
2: on that? Um, is it harder? Is it less hard? Uh, no, there's, there's doing it well and doing it less well. Listen, you've got, um, Kyle alluded to these famous 10 slides. I, I agree with that approach. You know and um, most startups make mistakes and that's in good times and bad times they don't articulate the problem they're solving they want to talk about the product that they've fallen in love with and they don't talk about the problem they're solving that's the first thing second one is to kyle's point how big a market is this the the, the tam you know uh, because if it's a great problem you're solving but it's a small market nobody cares then you know you say well how are you going to make money um and you'll stress test that uh, then you're going to look at the team, to your point. And if the team is strong, you're going to give it much more latitude and breaks. Um, then, you know, you're going to look at the competition. And that's where most startups fall down in good times and bad times. They don't understand that they need to uh, impress upon the investor that they know who, is, who they're up against. Most of them most of them don't. And, and you know, that competitor slide, the SWOT slide, whatever you call it, is usually relatively poorly done. And then they need to give an idea of um, the milestones. They need to frame the whole thing. Look, you give me half a million, and I, in nine months, will be back to you. I will have achieved this, and I will be asking you for two and a half million. Is that a deal? You need to frame it with milestones. So these are the 10 slides. Good times, not so good times. You nail that. You've got a good chance, Nick. Can you tell
1: Roger used to do a lot of deals in his,
2: in his, in his, in his <laughs> year? <laughs>
3: Uh, yeah, there's not a time to add, but just real quickly, I'd say um, that, that yeah, I mean, I think right now it's, it's there are some difficulties. I think the the biggest difficulty, as I said before, you know, the investment world, there's not a lot of other places to put their money. So they're not going to completely say, well, yeah, let's just not make money on our money. Uh, I think the hardest part right now is that level of uncertainty past 2020. I mean, it's hard for all of us, right? We're all living through it. Um, but. I know a lot of people right now in that sort of thesis development phase going, I think this is what's going I think, but if you're here in the States, like there's a lot of things we've explored at the sort of, how do we make stadiums safe? But everybody's going, I don't know legally, municipality law wise, what I'm going to have to do. That sounds cool, but I'm not going to bet on thermal cameras. If I don't know, if I might have to spend $20 million on a whole bunch of other stuff that, you know, that this County or that city is requiring. So it's, it's gonna be there. I think 2021 has tremendous potential and, and even the back half of this year as things become clearer, but at least for us here in the States, there's kind of this, let's get through August, September, let's get through how these restarts go and the start of the NFL season and then we might have a clearer picture. It also doesn't help for us that it's a political election year and a particularly chaotic one and those tend to be make investors a little bit wary of making too big events.
2: I would say, Nick, that's all true. You know, uh, Kyle's right. You know, sport and sport tech as an asset class has got a lot of attractions and maybe even more so post-COVID. I think most of the great investors that are around there now are a little bit licking their chops because, you know, uh, all of the opportunity about the disruption in sport, sports models, the move to B2C, all of that is still out there as an opportunity you're just going to get easier valuations and 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 founders that are a little bit easier to deal with Uh, so i would say this is a good moment and nobody should get discouraged just now just be really good at what you're you're what the problem is you're solving and i think you'll be fine and do it with confidence sport is going to be always brand loyalty to die for and that's a great asset class Cool, good stuff. All right.
1: Well, I'm going to I'm going to ask one question of mine, and then we'll move back to the the audience again. But um, what is your what is your both both your strategies on how you would identify um, identify companies to basically invest in or, or invest or bring into your your organization, what, what's the strategy you'd look for? You've mentioned a couple, I think, in passing, Roger. But could if you could sort of summarize what are those key attributes? Uh, uh,
2: again, those slides uh, uh, that's that's the process, that's my process, but it's everybody's process, really. Uh, in terms of sectors, I like I'm not an investor that likes in the be- uh, the better mousetrap. Um, you know, uh, that doesn't do it for me. I'm really looking for you know the home run with the bases packed. You know, so I, I like the applications of AI into sport and how that's going to affect both on the field, whether that's injuries, somebody like Zone 7, or uh, uh, off the field, like um, a, a, a goalie, you know, like your, your previous um, uh, speaker, Caroline. Um, I like um, the move to the younger audiences because sport is resisting this, and maybe rightly it's resisting it, but we need to address this. So anybody that comes across that uh, with a good idea, I, I like that. You know, and that that can be new formats, new, new destinations, fan-controlled teams, uh, and that's linked to e-gaming, all of that stuff, although e-gaming is tough, I must admit. Um, but at the end of the day, whatever you're in, uh, you have to see somebody that knows what they're up against, not uh, somebody that says, look at my lovely new product. That's not enough.
3: Yeah, and a couple of things I'd say, and and not to tr- not to contradict something that I said before, but the unique part about right now, and you know, you need to have some of those financial projections, but we're officially in a moment where no one knows what's going to happen. There's there's no there's no template or playbook for this, and so part of this gets into as a as a founder, you get this really nice litmus litmus test to go like, how much has this person thought about the cascading impacts of all the things we're experiencing, and So it's a great example I'd give you know, it's a great time to invest in virtual fitness solutions that, you know, nothing bigger than Lululemon's $500 million play over the last week. Uh, If I were to talk to those founders, you know, one of my first questions would be, okay, right. But a year from now, as that scare has died down, like how does your product continue to evolve? If, and maybe they won't, but if people were to go back into gyms, in mass, are these solutions still viable? Now they may be, and they may have thoughts on if that happens, we'll pivot this way. But I think that part's really important. And then for us, we're fortunate in that because of that stable of of big sports partners that we have, we can also really kick the tires in the wild. We can meet a founder, we can go, let's put this thing into play in a retail outlet with Sporting goods or Adidas. Let's put this into stadiums with the Dodgers or major league soccer. And be able to see, you know, if it works, or at least even if we don't put it out there, to have a range of sports experts who are betting. So I think that's, that, that's, you know, a lot of it right now and how how we try to filter through, you know, to find the, the signal from the noise.
1: I realized I should have asked this at the start or got you guys to sort of share this. Could you share a couple of examples of some of the success stories and all, all the some of the startups you're working with either currently or success, success stories you've had? Uh, Roger, if you kick off there. Um,
2: very quickly, I uh, did um, AI um, betting modeling with a company called Io Sport that was sold to a big book, bookmaker. I did uh, Give Me Sport, which was sport content, uh, when uh, the years around the BuzzFeed, Facebook-driven uh, um, digital publishing. Um, Zone 7, AI injury prevention and de- detection. Uh, Smart Sports, which is uh, what I call Pixar for sport. It's um, taking sport into the green screen environment so people don't have to go to empty stadiums or et cetera, et cetera. Um, 107, which is around motorsports, which is a Gen, fo- Gen Z-focused uh, content play. Uh, 7F, which is uh, e-gaming with um, fan-controlled formats for um, various sports, but initially football. And then there's another one um, similar to I.O. Sport. Uh, I'm a big, big fan of, of intelligent content based around data that is uh, directed to a niche intelligent market that may be bettors, maybe fi- fantasy football, fantasy sports, or may just be people that want long-form content, probably with a subscription model. Those are the ones I'm working with just now. And Cole?
3: Yeah, I mean, a whole range, you know, both kind of currently and, and over the last, last few years, and, and we've been fortunate in that enough, a quite a few of them find themselves in a, in an advantageous spot now that we believe will will continue to grow. So I think we've, you know, a lot of the areas that we look at youth sports is definitely a big one. And, and over here in the States, there's a number of kind of structural issues with the youth sports ecosystem that we're trying to address both because we see a business opportunity, but also just societally speaking, there's, there's definitely a, a wealth of data that suggests that, you know, being able to, uh, you know have a healthy functioning youth at max maximize the number of youth playing sports is really important. So that that includes companies like uh Play Versus which is actually in the esports space but specifically in the esports space around high schools. And how do we enable if bar, if esports is going to be a varsity sport there's a whole bunch of infrastructure. This isn't just like having the gym coach now teach a, you know, coach lacrosse. This is a whole there's a whole big thing. Um, you know, or or a company like EL1 who's decidedly low tech but but in terms of they're just building the sort of infrastructure to teach the right way, facilities, being able to go into new markets that are underserved. Um, We've got, you know, I think media wise, a company called Greenfly here and based in LA, who's, you know, very much how do we enable all of our ambassadors and all the people we endorse to submit content and to share that. And so, you know, for a lot of their clients, this it's been their time to shine, right? Like if everybody's distributed, we need those people sitting at home to submit content, to keep us engaging with audiences Uh, scenic, a company actually over there in europe but a company we had worked with for a while who's now you know after you know they'd had some good traction around the concept of watching with your friends this kind of like almost sort of facetime sharing netflix party idea but now when you know european soccer spins back up and i'm i can't necessarily go watch it at the pub with my friends or whatever you know great time for them and then lastly you know i think some of the stuff around performance company that we worked with from the earliest days of the dodgers accelerator can dock to just been a great partner they were they were already doing well before they came to us and gotten so much traction in that sort of athlete performance management space starting to do things now to take that down to, to a little bit more of a you know maybe not fully consumer level but into other places beyond just you know the pro teams elite at the top and then um, you know one that we're really excited about the, the that really the you know Dodgers have been leading but um, a series of companies atrium sports Key Motion that did a lot of automated cameras, Atrium provides a lot of the kind of AI machine learning, and then a company called Synergy, which is just this wealth of tagged, meta tagged data and video for sports. And, you know, Elysian Park and the Dodgers are doing a great job of kind of bringing these companies together to give you this next gen full service, everything from AI for performance to automation of broadcast. So anyways, that was a long winded answer to say kind of we try to span the full spectrum. that and- and the last thing I'd say is that what what's so exciting right now that I always encourage people to think bigger about the sports ecosystem. So many of these things have applications way beyond sport, um, you know. And, and I, you know, I cherry pick an example and say something like Peloton that you know that wasn't just like a fitness product that built built this whole ecosystem that's that's a publicly traded company. And so the big provocation I've been throwing out to people is someone will invent the AWS for health and performance, and there's no reason why different companies within sports might be part of what gets rolled up to do that, or that founders who are playing in that space today might be part of when Apple or Amazon goes that way, be in a position to go, let me lead that effort. So I think thinking bigger about how these things start at the pro level, cascade down to all of the sort of sports and societal, you know, cultural ecosystem is, is what, you know, really, really where the, the big opportunities lie.
1: The good thing is I actually recognize most of the startups, so therefore I feel smarter now that I actually haven't following the right types of companies. so that's that's a good sign, at least for me. A couple of questions, we're not conscious of time. We've got about ten minutes left. so I'm going to ask a few more questions. There's still a couple of things I want to jump back into with around um, around accelerators, a little bit more detail also about sports teams and how what they're doing in that space now. Um, but quick few questions from the audience here. We kind of touched upon this already, so probably doesn't need a long, necessarily, an answer, a long answer here. But John Ganshaw, I'm going to say his name, uh, is as investors and adv- sorry, investors and advisors, what areas within sports tech innovation space excite you in terms of the overall opportunity in the years ahead? But we've touched upon that. Quite a bit is there anything else yeah. specifically
2: you guys would just shout out um if not we can sort of move on but if there's anything else particularly you want to oh, i think uh, i think uh, kyle mentioned it and and i, and I work for uh, somebody else that's um picks a lot that is a competitor of yep. promotion I, I think um the- was not going to say anything but uh, i was gonna and a lot of these things it validates the sector uh, and, and what and that's my point i think you know that uh, how a uh, sport gets uh, a monetization model for the long tail, because I'm a great believer in the polarization of rights between the top end, the very top end, then everybody else is going to have to work real hard. And I think AI automated automated production, whether it's Atrium, whether it's Pixel, whether it's PlaySide, has got a a big, big future. Uh, So uh, all startups thinking about how am I going to help a rights holder that isn't going to get a bid? from the traditional pay TV that they're used to for the last 20 years. I think that's a great pitch.
1: Yep. Absolutely. Kyle, do you have anything else there?
3: Yeah, I think we hit on a lot of it. I'd say, you know, what, we, the, what we've what we been kind of thinking about, maybe less specific to sort of categories and more. Uh, sorry, I've got a three-year-old who may, be, may make a cameo here in a second. Yeah, that's um, right. I've got a two-and-a-half-year-old behind you somewhere as well. I, I I like to, you know, think about the kind of, Mac disruptions that are going to shape a lot of things, and, and maybe have multiple investment categories out of the sort of media experience. We've already been talking about like shift to OTT. We been talking about potential personalized broadcast. There's this media is changing, as you know. We've seen through this Netflix and Fortnite and all these companies that are you know really accelerating right now. Um, experience live experience goes without saying the stadium experience is going to really have to change over the next few years it already was now it's that much more commerce um, a lot of these, you know how are we going to sell to these audiences and and how does as that shifts more and more online and a few players like Amazon and fanatics capture so much of the market what does that mean how do you find new opportunity and the last two would be kind of what I say are health and education but health can mean everything from youth and performance or, you know, more of the sort of performance fitness, we're going to change the definition of fitness now. Like we're going to think as much about recovery and health and, and that side as we are about getting jacked and being, you know, a big performance athlete and then uh, education where you start to get into youth sports, you start to get in that youth side. So those are like macro disruptions that I think with RGA, RGA Ventures and GSVS we're thinking about
1: right now. For what it's worth, I'd have to really agree on the, the the remote production and OTT side, not just because we focus a lot on it, but the reason we focus on it at SportsPro uh, from a media coverage and events perspective is just because it's the most exciting and hottest and most disruptive time in those those sectors right now. You're hearing it, but companies like BT Sport who are shifting um, 70 people who used to go to a match, now they only need to send 10 because of the remote production, the technology is able to just cut down costs and and things like AI companies like Goli and WSC Sports and those types of guys who have just made it so much easier to get things done, which historically used a lot of manpower. Those things are going to continue to make a huge difference into that ecosystem. So, uh, I mean, that's-, that's Yeah, we, well. we ran a pilot back in, I don't know if
3: it was 2015, 2016, that took those key motion cameras, Shot Tracker, which is another company that had wearable data, a lot of sensors and wearables and data cam, you know, for basketball and then work with Fox Sports to automate a lot of, you know, and it, to your point, it's essentially things they had the broadcast rights to a tournament. Ratings wise, it only made sense to show the finals. Now, all of a sudden, if you can bring those economics down, I can, I can broadcast all the games and put them, I've got a platform. I can put them on my Fox Sports video platform. And now I've suddenly got all this more inventory. And I, I think about with a nine-year-old, a three-year-old, We're not that far from a day where you could have automated capture of my son's soccer game that if I'm on the road, at some point I assume I'll be back on the road, I could watch remotely. I could have, you know, companies like Game Changer that Dick Sporting Goods bought that will take a box score from baseball and turn it into audio play by play. I mean, they're just,
0: I share your excitement about the space. Since 2008, SportsPro Magazine has set the standard for the business of sport in print, and it keeps on getting better. Every quarter, our outstanding editorial team gets under the skin of the industry, talking to the most important leaders and the most influential thinkers around to take you to the heart of what's really happening in sport, and what's coming next. We look at the big ideas, the pivotal themes, and the critical numbers. With powerful storytelling, provocative opinion, and insightful commentary, as well as guides to the deals, the developments, the destinations, and the movers and the shakers, it's your essential industry companion. Head to the shop at sportspromedia.com to subscribe now. Sports Pro, connecting and inspiring the business world of sport.
1: Good stuff. Okay, a couple quick, couple final questions here. Um, We talked a bit about the the incubators and accelerators. Um, We're seeing more and more rights holders, football clubs, teams, even leagues setting up. Uh, you guys obviously did work with the Dodgers as well, but you're seeing a lot of these organizations now trying to set up these their own incubators and accelerators or, or innovation hubs. Um, what, why should a rights holder set up an incubator or, or should they not really? Should they leave it to the experts And and should startups be particularly excited to approach those sorts of organizations because obviously they're their target audience? Uh, Roger, do you want to start
2: that one? Yeah, uh, those are two different questions. Um, When I was a rights holder, I always thought it was a great idea to do this for a couple of reasons. Uh, You can get a lot of really cool tech in there as a quid pro quo for saying to the startup, look at the exposure you're getting. So I I think that you go into that uh, negotiation with uh, all the leverage on your side. And, and, you know, I think it's a very good idea. You need to have somebody serious that's running it. You know, you can't just have the sports team staff doing it. So that's why you need somebody like Kyle to come in and do that, whether you call it the outsourced innovation, I don't know. Uh, So I think it's a great idea. I think um, the the clubs and the franchises and the leagues can really do well um, and probably screw great deals out of of the startups. And conversely, the startups have got to be careful. You know, they can follow uh, something that on the surface looks like to be really sexy, really something that's going to change their world. And uh, then they have to look at the terms of the deal. You know, do they keep the IP? Or are they then sharing it with the the, the, the franchise or, or, or the innovation hub? Um, uh, who's doing the go-to-market? Are you putting your go-to-market in somebody, a third party's hands? They're never going to care about, about it as much as you do. So, um, you know, one of the things I like about, you know, Sports Loft, where, you know, a couple of my uh, startups are, is that they're completely independent, and they will, like the best uh, uh, intermediaries, always put you uh, in touch with the right people that fits you. So for some startups, it's a great a great idea. For others, I would caution them to really, again, like I said at the start, look at the terms that you've been asked to sign up to. For the league or the franchise, I think it's a great idea. I always thought it was a great idea.
3: Yeah, I think I think what I'd say is this. Uh, you know, I think one, you want to start from a what are we trying to accomplish? You know, I think you've, you know, you can kind of see. And that, you know, I'm I'm biased, but I think the Dodgers have done done a really good job from an investment standpoint and growing the value of those investments and having them impact a lot of a lot of aspects of the business. Then you look at someone like Barca, who's really doing such a great job of having it impact the way that players train and performance and how they develop talent, and even how that broader ecosystem, other organizations that come in and use some of those next gen pieces of technology. So, you know, whether, you know, you just kind of have to find that alignment. Are we trying to build a really promising portfolio? Are we maybe looking for a company that we could, I don't know, you're going to have an enterprising owner somewhere that's going to go, could I have the next BAM tech? Could I build something, use my IP and then Go license it to a bunch of people. And next thing you know, I've built the next gen VAM tech. Who knows? You know, I mean, those are just, they're di- obviously very different, require a different approach. I think the second thing I'd say is how sincere is the organization about this? How integrated is it? If it's about, if they're selling you on, we can put you on the field here, we can do all this do they have the right people involved in the conversation to actually do that? You know, it's easy to have somebody who's on more of the innovations I'd sell you because they're, you know, they want to work with you and they think it's great, but then oftentimes they bring it to the rest of the org. And it's like, yeah, uh, 2021, we can talk about maybe doing that. Yeah. We was- a- may have two rounds between now and then. So I think, you know, Roger I'm talking about a term that I, you know, use a lot of sort of, you know, innovation theater and innovation is this bright and And it's, So uh, without being, you know, too blunt, I would say there are a lot of pretenders out there right now. There are a lot of people that this is that bright, shiny object. Even if they're doing it, they're more focused on incremental gains. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of that in sports. And then you have these more progressive owners, Dodgers coming in and and Guggenheim, Steve Ballmer, obviously like you hold him up as a pinnacle example. And, you know, those guys aren't going to make, just incremental gains. They're going to make bigger bets on the future. And so if you're going in trying to make those, you know, if you maybe it's what you need, maybe in your market, it's really important to get that pilot out there and you'll take the, the bad with the good. But for me, my biggest advice to any startup is, is, you know, really make sure these guys are sincere about it, that they have that vision and that it aligns with where you want to go.
1: Now, another question here from the audience, from Arun uh, Haranath. And... The question here is, philosophically as a startup, how do you keep pivoting without losing your identity as a company? How do you strike the right balance as someone who is advising them? Um, Interesting question. Roger, do you have any thoughts on that one? That's a really
2: good question, uh, because uh, to answer that, uh, you're making the assumption that the vision at the start is is correct. And I think this is the, the crux of it. The vision for the product at the start may have been one thing the vision for the business may have been fuzzy or ill-defined or indeed wrong, when uh, the vision for the business comes into focus, you're obliged to pivot. You know, you're a business, you're not not Thomas Edison, you're not doing, you're a business that has to give a return to your shareholders. And, you know, a good advisor will say, you know, look, uh, this is how you need to play this. These are the expectations of your stakeholders, I know maybe you want to like push forward on your beautiful product dream and build the spaceship and more and more and more. You need to pivot. And, and you know, I, I think that's a little bit like in, the, in the, the financial markets, the stock markets. The great investors are not the ones that know how to buy. It's the ones that know how to sell when they've taken a loss and they just psychologically say, I'm moving on. Same in startups.
3: Yeah, it's, it's interesting over here. Obviously, some so much of this is is also sort of tied to runway, right? Like you don't, you know, you, and and you know, how much does that? How much is the fate of the company sort of dependent on that pivot? And and to Roger's point, how do you, how do I make it early enough so that it isn't this desperation play and I'm trying to raise money against the pivot that isn't really mature it hasn't really taken hold yet? Um, so I think that's I think that part you know is is you know important to sort of you know understand. You know, one of the things I'm I'm in that context cautioning startups on is pivoting too quickly in this moment. Look, you may have to, you may have to get out in front. You may say, we feel really confident about where things are going and we're going to really push hard at that. But, you know, there's a little bit to use a, a, you know, sort of real estate architectural building a house analogy like a lot of the foundation you might build in a lot of these areas is straight up on like quicksand or mud. I mean, it's just, it's just complete. We don't know. And it may work, you know, you may be able to navigate that. It may give you an advantage, but you could also find yourself going, we made a, we put everything in on one bet that was high risk and, and the upside or the, the probability was not great. And, and so, you know, how do you, find that how do you find that vision and, and i i always love you know raj is right i love seeing those companies that are just like yep we started as this and we just totally blew it up and went in a different direction to so, you know we had a we thought it was going to be you know work this way and it just didn't and we didn't waste any time becoming a totally
1: different company
2: okay well, I, think, I think i think it comes the concept- story of slack is a great example of i was just going to say yeah,
1: you know, exactly like, in- like a game it was bad for games and they just built it because they were struggling to talk to each other and then I now built one of the, the, the leading players in the market. Pivoting has to be really part of the, or, the- or Twitter,
3: right? Like Jack
1: Dorsey messing around at a
3: podcast company, you know? So yeah.
2: And uh, the the answer very much depends if you keep one question in your mind. What problem am I trying to solve here? And you know, when you keep that in your mind, that problem may become a non-problem or you may have somebody else that has solved it before you or better than you. You have to adapt to that, Nick. So
1: what uh, What are, okay, we're, we're basically running out of time here. I've got one question. We talk about a lot of success and what you need to look for. Um, what are some of the things that you guys have learned along the way that, or, or what's one tip, I guess you'd say you've, you've learned, um, that's a challenge that every startup kind of faces that they don't realize um, is, is a problem. Um, when they when they're in that sort of early stage, is there is there something that really stands out for you guys, or or even just generally just a tip that people have to be wary of um, when they're in those early stages, Kyle?
3: Yeah, I um, that's, that's a it's a really good question. I mean, I feel like we've hit on a few things. I, I it's hard to overstate the importance of that founding team and you know it's and and advisors and what that you know the kind of initial group that you're you're walking down the street slow-mo like reservoir dogs uh as you kind of you know go out there and go to market right um and and so i think i think that part's really important and and then i'd say you know in this in this current climate you know it's there are going to be those moments where you kind of get into some make or break deals there are going to be those moments that you know are Are really important, and that's where you want to, again, want to be confident that as you walk into that room, that hey, this deal could be the unlock that gets us to you know run. But if it goes goes wrong, we might we might be in a tough spot. Do I know that the two three people I'm bringing in that room are going to bring their best and set us up to speed?
2: I would also say that the issue is around uh, the founders. Um, You know, uh, the difficult startup experiences I have had have been around uh, founders that. Uh, have not listened, who have um, not hired well, and and then have um, micromanaged. All of those are linked to characteristics that um, uh, you need to try and involve uh, uh, the rest of your team as quickly as possible and hire well. You know, no matter how good a founder is, I always say to them: A's hire A pluses, B's hire C D's and E's. Make sure you're an A, you know, and, and and let your ego go.
3: Yeah, and and echoing that, and, and just one last succinct pill here, which I'm not good at that brevity. Um, would be, you know, uh, yeah. I mean, in terms of in terms of the you know sort of founding team, um, and people on that team, do they value ideas over execution? Are they coming in with this sort of this vision is so big or are they somebody who's who's going to roll up their sleeves and do it? Because you will find those founders who are just convinced that their idea is so different that if the, ex, even if the execution is not great, get that MVP out there, we'll capture all the, and you know, in this current climate, that's definitely, that doesn't usually fly. It's definitely not going to fly now. It's all execution.
1: Well, with time time basically running out now, um, I will give us the chance just to say, uh, Kyle, very quickly, if you could just tell people how they can get in touch with you. There's about 30% or 40% of the audience with startups, so maybe they want to get in touch with you and the RGA Ventures crew. How do they get in touch with you and also Roger? Uh,
3: honestly, for me, the easiest thing, I mean, uh, reach out at Kyle, K-Y-L-E at RGA.com. I'm, I'm always, you know, email's Kind of the easiest i've got a team that does a lot of our evaluation and vetting and you know i try to join as many of those conversations as i can so shoot me a note i'll connect in our team we are excited to see new things so i, I encourage all of you to
2: connect uh, the best way for me is, is on linkedin where i'm relatively active and uh, also on twitter at rpm como as in the lake not cornwall rpm como <laughs> um, And uh, you can always tune into the podcast and hear me occasionally there. Good stuff. Thanks very much, guys.
0: The Sports Pro podcast is published by Sports Pro Media. The producer is Ed Dixon.